you would turn in your Bibles to the book of First Peter chapter 4. I'm nervous about this message today. First of all, there's a lot of it, so I need you to listen quickly so that we can get through it. Uh, secondly, this is a different kind of message than we are accustomed to. Typically, we turn to a text of Scripture. We pretty much stay in that text, and we work through those verses the entire time. Uh, this is going to be more like a topical message. Uh, we'll be in several places in Scripture, uh, referencing and reading from those Scriptures. Uh, for those of us who came from a background of only topical preaching, it may be a scary thing to hear this is going to be kind of topical. Uh, but let me say, first of all, that the topic that we take up today is clearly addressed in the verses that we've been studying over the past several weeks. It's clearly addressed in our first Peter text. Uh, and so in sort of a Puritan fashion, we'll take up this topic and expand our thinking beyond the boundaries of these verses in first Peter. Let me say this. In, in a Puritan fashion, uh, this would be volumes. This would be five messages. Uh, so we're not doing that. So this is going to be just hitting the mountaintops of some stuff. Uh, we, we also want to make sure that as we broaden our consideration of this topic, that we don't broaden beyond Scripture, that we don't say what is not in Scripture. I'm going to try very carefully to say exactly what I mean to say, to say exactly what the Scripture teaches us, uh, so don't read beyond Scripture. We don't want to go there. Uh, we want to say what the Bible has to say and only that. Uh, but as we search the Scripture, as we search texts of Scripture to see what God has to say, I want to encourage you this morning at the outset to stay engaged. Uh, some of you are quick on the draw when it comes to finding texts of Scripture, and I'll say, turn to Galatians, and you'll be there before you know it, because you know about the GE Power Company. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Yeah, you know about those things. So some of you will be really quick to turn to those places. Others, you may, uh, and maybe I would fall into this category. It may take half the sermon to find that one text of Scripture. By the time we get there, the preacher's on to something else. Maybe it would be best, and you're going to know yourself. Maybe it would be best to write those things down, take some notes about some of these texts of Scripture. You can use your worship guide for that if you need to. Um, maybe some of you will do both. Write the Scriptures down and then um, find them as well. You also may need to come back and um, go to our website and hear this sermon again to get some of these things. Uh, so I'd encourage you to, to stay engaged today and to not let, this, um, not let this sermon, not let this message end after we say amen at the end, if that makes sense. Another exhortation, and some of you uh, will think that I'm not talking to you in this, but I am. You may be tempted to dismiss this sermon as being good for somebody else. Man, I'm glad. I'm glad he preached that. That other guy needed to hear it. Uh, some of you may be tempted that way. It's applicable to others, but I sure don't need it. I don't need to trouble myself over this. And that would be for every one of us a grave error. When we are too prideful or too self-confident to even consider the failings of our own soul, then we are the most blind to our own error and to our own sin. So today, as the Word of God is preached, place your yourself on the scale, on the opposite side of Scripture, and see how you measure up, see how your life weighs in, see where you fall short and repent. And pray for strength. First Peter chapter 4. We're only going to read verses 3 and 4. And then we'll skip down and read verse 7. For the, time is already, for the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. Having pursued, of course, of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Now we'll skip down to verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is near. Therefore be ye sober and watch unto prayer. God, we pray your blessing this morning on your word. We pray that you would work through your Holy Spirit and your word to sanctify your people, to draw sinners to repentance. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
So today marks the fourth week that we have been to this section of 1 Peter chapter 4. And we've tried to address in the messages the things which Peter addresses. But as we come to this list, it keeps jumping out to me that this deserves more attention than we have been able to give it thus far. And to be honest, it deserves more attention than we're going to give it even today. Uh, and what deserves more attention is this, what's called here, the sinful desires of the Gentiles. And listed for us sexual sin, drunkenness, and the reveling and parties that are associated with such sin. I've spoken to some of you over the past few weeks as we've worked through these texts, and I've heard you say things like, it's as though the scripture is speaking directly to me. And, and I see that, and I see that in my own life, that we're called by this text of scripture to put away uh, these sins and other kinds of sin like them. As Peter has contrasted for us, and we saw last time, this contrasted lifestyle of the sinfulness and the righteousness, the sinful lifestyle contrasted with that life uh, of a Christian, the way it should look. So maybe as we read this and we see this contrasted lifestyle, we need to be reminded of Paul's similar instruction in Galatians 5. You can turn there if you would like. Galatians 5, I'll read verses 19 through 25. These will be familiar verses. Some of these uh, will be familiar to you. Now the works of the flesh are evident. I heard a preacher even this morning on the way in, I was listening to the radio. That's dangerous right there. Listening to a preacher on the radio is just a dangerous thing. And he came to this text. I thought, wow, in the providence of God, he's going to address this text. He read this. Now the works of the flesh are evident and said, now I'm not going to read the list. Because these are horrible things. So I'm not even going to. Brothers and sisters, we need to hear it, right? We need this. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wealth, uh, wrath, not wealth, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But, and now we have the contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. Your Bible may say self-control. Against such things there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk also in the Spirit. So in this Galatians text, we hear echoes of what we've studied in Peter's epistle. The Christian being crucified, suffering with Christ, dying to sin. We hear echoes of this in this Galatians passage. And, and we have the same uh, method of contrasting sinful lusts of the world with the righteousness which should mark the life of a Christian. And in the fruit of the Spirit, we find ways that Christian love is to be demonstrated. Now, i got to tell you, that's how I read the fruit of the Spirit. Some of you will disagree. It's okay, we can disagree on this. I think the fruit of the Spirit is singular. I think the fruit of the Spirit is love. And how it is demonstrated, how it plays out, is marked in these other things. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, meekness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, though, is is here listed for us, here presented to us. This is how a Christian is to live. This is how Christian love is to be demonstrated. And, and I want us to focus in this morning on this last thing. We've got this fruit of the Spirit, but the last one, what the King James calls temperance. Temperance. 
And temperance is contrasted here with what's listed in this list of sinful behaviors, contrasted with drunkenness and revelings of the flesh. When you hear the word revelings, uh, the parties associated with those things. Now, temperance is a word that we don't often use. We don't like the word, I don't think. And, and the word, to be honest, has been ruined for many Americans due to the prohibition era movement that took its name, the temperance movement. Most think of temperance, well, what does that mean? Well, it means total abstinence from alcohol. But, but that is not what the word means. The word doesn't mean total abstinence from alcohol. Temper, temperance doesn't mean total abstinence from anything. Rather, temperance is best understood as moderation, limitation, self-regulation, or as your Bible says, self-control. And as we begin to consider temperance, self-control, we need to understand that this is a fruit of the Spirit. This is the result. This is the outcome that, that comes with a Christian being indwelled by the Spirit of God. So it is important for us to note this is the fruit of the Spirit. Temperance is the work of God, and He gets all the glory. It's His power, it's His work, and He gets all the glory. But, your Bible has it right there. Self-control. Self-control. So we have to remember that this... This, this has to be balanced. It's the work of God. But, but in this, self-control indicates to us that this also involves a volitional operation of the Christian himself. This is self-control. That is to say that we do something. Now, we do nothing to save ourselves, but in sanctification, God calls us to engage and to do. And this is one of the things that we are to do. So we are to exercise Temperance. We are to practice self-control. And it's an indicator that God is working in us and working to bring about His will in our lives. You know, this is already a long sermon. Sometimes we look at trees and we say, what kind of tree is that? What kind of tree is that? You know how you can tell? Go look at the fruit. Oh, that's a peach tree because I saw peaches. Oh, that's an apple tree because I see you can look at the fruit and you can tell what's there. The fruit of the Spirit should be an indicator to us. Look at the fruit. That's what we're calling ourselves to do today. Self-examination, to be fruit inspectors. To be fruit inspectors. This, this work of temperance in us is an indication that God is working in us. So, so our first Peter 4 text as well as this Galatians text, addresses the sin of drunkenness. And that's what I set out to deal with in this message. Uh, that's what I set out to deal with. Uh, and as I considered how to address the sin of drunkenness scripturally and, and, and get instruction from the Bible concerning alcoholic drink, I realized that this is one in a category of sins. Now, I just told some guys in uh, Bible study this morning, uh, I'm so dumb. Because I, I said, this is one in a category of sins I can come up with. And I came up with three or four more, well, five, that we won't address them all. But I came up with three, four, five more sins that would fall under this category. And you see that in the sermon title in your, in your uh, bulletin. Uh, those blessings from God that come with a warning are those blessings from God that when abused, are sin. Here's why I said I'm so dumb. Tell me what sin is. Well, sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. But you know what else we can say about sin? Sin is taking a good thing that God gives us and abusing it. Taking it out of bounds. Every sin. Every sin is that. So, anyway, there we have it. Every sin falls under this category. But this is the one that I set out to say. I want to address this sin that is marked out here for us of drunkenness. I'll just say here, I'm not using the term alcoholic or alcoholism. Uh, I think that is a dangerous word for us Christians. Because our world thinks of that as a disease. Is it a disease? 
Well, if it's a disease, it's the only disease that the Bible says sends you to hell. The, the biblical word is drunkenness. And there's something of taking responsibility to say, I'm a drunkard. Or to say, as the scripture says, I was a drunkard. Smile comes to my face because isn't that wonderful, Christians, that we can say, such were some of you. But no longer. So this category of, of gifts that God has given that come with a warning. And I remember gifts that I have been given. I remembered my first pocket knife and my first BB gun. My grandfather gave me both of those gifts on separate birthdays. But I remember that first pocket knife. It was, it was stainless steel with black with a black onyx inlay. In the, and it was a locking blade. Woo! Oh, it was big time. I remember the gift. I remember how wonderful it was. And I remember the talk that went along with it. This is going to be a good, this is going to be a good tool. This is going to be used to cut strings and to cut ropes. This is going to be used to, to slice an apple or a peach, right? This is going to be a good tool for you. And it's going to help you in a lot of things. This will get a splinter out of your finger. But this, this gift, if used improperly, will cut things that cannot be put back together. This gift, if used improperly, will bring destruction that cannot be repaired. This gift, if used improperly, can bring death. Right? So you get that. And, and by the way, that same kind of speech came with the, the gun that I received. That came, same kind of speech came with the car keys, right? We get those kind of things where we, we, are, we know what it is to have gifts that come with a warning. Gifts that have a, a good a, 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 even a great side and then have a dangerous side if we're not careful. So that's what we have before us here. This is, this is God's gift that we're speaking of. Many of the gifts that are common to humanity come with a warning from Scripture. Our, our first Peter text mentions two of these listed right here and, and listed not only the gift, but the, the destruction and the misuse we see in this first Peter four passage, drunkenness and sexual immorality. And, and boy, if you come to the, if you come to the church and you just hear preaching against drunkenness and sexual immorality, you'll begin to think these things, these things are evil. You'll begin to think, wow, sex is bad. Can I tell you something? Sex is not bad. Sex is a gift from God. Sex is a good gift from God. Genesis says very good. It's a good gift. And when it's abused, oh, it's bad. It's the abuse of it that is sin. Same thing goes with alcoholic drink. These are areas where God's word calls us to temperance. Now, now let me just say this. As we talk about temperance and self-control, some people are going to say, here's how I'm going to exercise temperance and self-control. I'm going to exercise, especially speaking of alcoholic drink. Some are going to say, I'm going to exercise temperance and self-control by total abstinence. You know what? That's a, that's, that's a choice. That's, that may be the best choice for you. That may be the right choice for you. Some are going to come to a different understanding. But you know what we cannot do, Christians? We cannot go to excess. We cannot go to the sin of excess. We must... Enjoy the gifts of God, all the gifts of God, without going to the excess of sin. Someone may say, boy, this sounds like a young person's message. This sounds like instruction for a young person. Young people need to hear this. And truly, it is important for young people to read, hear, and understand the instruction and the warnings of Scripture and to do so at a very young age. Proverbs has much to say about warning and, and warning of a son, right? The son is warned in Proverbs. So, so we may think, yeah, this is, this is for children. But there's nothing in Proverbs that tells us that, that he's writing to a very young person. So this warning, this instruction that we read in Scripture, uh, it may be good, it is good, for those who are a little older. Young men and young women need to be instructed and warned about the abuse of God's good gifts. This is for very young people. This is for those that are not so young. But, but let's remember also that old men and old women, now some of you don't want to admit that you're old, once you get, once you get Pastor Brent's age, you, you kind of have to admit it. Yep, yep, I got there. 
But can I just tell you, I, I remember the day that I had to tell my wife, when the Bible says older women, it's talking about you. It was not a good day. <laughs> it was not a good day. <laughs> but some of you need to say, hey, I'm, I may want to think of myself as young, but when it talks about older men, older women, that's talking about you. And the Bible instructs older men and older women to temperance. Remember where Paul uh, speaks to Titus and he says, call older men. And then in a couple of verses later, he says, call older women to be sober, to be temperate. To soberness. Young people, young people, especially you need to hear. You are told that you are supposed to be spending your youth in riotous living. Sowing your wild oats. This is what you're supposed to do. You're young. You're supposed to make mistakes. I've heard young people say that like it's a badge of honor. I'm supposed to be mess messing up. I'm enjoying the moment. There are warnings here for you. But older men, older women, do we reach a place where we say, oh, I don't have to worry about those things anymore. Sin doesn't bother me. I spoke to my father this week and we were talking about another sin, sinful thing. And, and I said, when is it that you get to that age that it doesn't bother you? And my dad said, I don't know. I'm not there. He's considerably older than me. I remember my grandfather saying, I'm old, but I'm not dead. I'm old, but I'm not dead. The, the, the flesh is still living. So older men, older women, we may reach a place in life where we have fewer responsibilities. Boy, we, we get tired even watching some of these young fathers and mothers chasing their kids around, right? We may get to a place in life where we have fewer responsibilities. And with fewer responsibilities like that, oftentimes we also have more of the world's riches, more of the world's uh, comforts and luxuries and securities. And, and, and as we get older, we're also sometimes faced with the disappointments of the things we thought we were going to do that we didn't do. And we're tempted as older men and older women to dismiss temperance, to be intemperance. There's a temptation at times, just as we see in the scripture where Solomon in his old age gave himself to the lusts of the flesh. So the point is, this message is for the young. This message is for the middle age. This message is for the old. This message is for men. This message is for women. This is for everyone. We are called to temperance. So as we address the topic of temperance, I guess we should ask, what is temperance? We said what temperance is not. But what, what is temperance? And, and I guess, what is intemperance? What is it to, to be intemperance? The sin in intemperance is taking a gift from God, which is meant to be enjoyed as we give him thanks and we give him praise for his goodness. And instead, we use that gift to gratify our own fleshly lusts, enjoying the gift, ignoring the gift giver, enjoying the gift without consideration of the gift giver. The, the sin of intemperance may be in excess, enjoying the gift outside the boundaries which God has set. It may be the sin of selfish greed, enjoying the gift with an ungrateful attitude. And usually these things go hand in hand, right? Someone who, who takes God's gift and abuses them in excess also is not thankful. So what are the areas that we will address today? There are many areas that could fall under this and be called the sin of intemperance. But today, and this is not an exhaustive list, we'll address four. I didn't work really hard, but I worked a little hard to make them all start with the letter M. Modesty, money, mating, and meals. Modesty, fashion, dress, adornment. Money, finance, wealth, securities of this world. Mating, sexual desire. And what I'm calling meals, just because it starts with an M, food and drink. Now this is four, it's really going to be five, because food and drink we're going we're to take kind of separately. I would like to point out from the get-go, 
None of those things are sin in and of themselves. Each of these are a gift from the benevolent hand of God. Dress, finance, sexual desire, food and drink. These are gifts from God to be enjoyed as we live to His glory and to His praise. But the Scripture gives us warnings. It's interesting to see how many warnings are given. Some of these carry far more warnings in Scripture. And each of them, it, it, it's very interesting that while the Bible presents these as gifts from God, it's almost that that's mentioned, that it's a gift from God. And then there's so much more, much, much more by way of warning against the excess and the abuse and the intemperance in these things. Beloved, we would all do well to heed these warnings. The greatest joy and fulfillment in your life will be found when you are in obedience to God's word. Christians, we, we dare not be dismissive as though we are above the sin of intemperance in these areas. We Christians must hear the voice of Christ, the word of God. These four areas where we tend to excess where we need to exercise temperance in the first place, we'll consider modesty. Fashion, dress, adornment. 1 Timothy 2.9 says in like manner also that women adorn themselves in proper apparel with modesty and sobriety. That means temperance and self-control. Not with braiding of the hair or gold or pearls or costly array, costly dresses, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now we looked at this in our study earlier. Modest apparel is instructed, and it's instructed here for women, but we need to understand that this has application for men as well. Modest apparel means that we are to be temperate in the way that we dress. Now someone will ask, what's wrong with What's wrong with wearing pearls? What's wrong with jewelry? What's wrong with braiding your hair or having nice clothes? Paul is not instructing to not braid your hair. He's instructing that you shouldn't be known by that, that you should be known for your modesty, for your moderation. The Christian should always labor to appear, to present yourself in a modest way in the way that you adorn yourself, in the way that you present yourself to the world. Not pushing the envelope of fashion, not keeping up with the latest designs. That should not be our concern, Christians. Not so much desiring the latest, but desiring the greatest grace that God has for us. How can we, in our dress, be modest, be temperate. Clothes, makeup, shoes, jewelry, hairstyles. Brothers and sisters, we, we can, but we should not pay too much attention to these things. As, as we seek to find our place in the world, I understand we have to find our place in the world, but we should not seek to fit into the world. We should not seek to fit the world's mold. Christians should be moderate. If your style catches everyone's attention, you're probably being immoderate. You're probably being intemperate. And you should show temperance. Some of you young ladies, young girls, all the way up through adult women, sometimes you can sin by pursuing cute look. Sounds innocent. But when you pursue a cute look at the expense of modesty, you sin and you become a stumbling block to others for them to sin. You may ask, what, what am I supposed to do when all the clothes in my closet are immodest? You know what the answer is? Throw them out. Get new clothes. I would even say this. Don't sell them. Don't, Don't take them to a resale shop so that they can be immodest for somebody else. But get rid of them. 
dress and fix yourself up in a way that calls attention to you as a person and not a sexual object, you don't have to be a trendsetter. You need to be sanctified. We need to learn this. We need to teach this to our children. We need to be temperate in modesty. The second area which we may tend to excess is the area of money, finance, wealth, earthly securities. First Timothy 6, 6 through 11. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we brought nothing into this world and so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and raiment, food and covering, fruit and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptations and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing to have it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs, with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Flee from these things. It's amazing to me how many times the Bible tells us to run. And we grow up and we never run. I mean, we might go for a run. I, I mean, I don't go for a run. But we might go for a run. But, but how, how often do we run away from sin? How often do we run away from temptation? And we're instructed in the Scripture, flee! Run away! Isaiah 5.8, God says this, Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there is no place that they may be placed along the midst of this earth. Speaking about, boy... We own that house, we bought the house next door. We own that field, we bought the field next to us. We got another field across, across the county. It, what's wrong with having extra houses and extra fields? Listen to what Walter Chantry said in addressing this verse. What's wrong with having a second house? What's wrong with having a second field? He might as well have said, Woe unto you Americans who lay appliance next to appliance, who put luxury next to luxury. What's wrong with having more? Ah, it gives reins to those lusts to desire earthly objects and delight themselves in them and trust in them and give so much attention to them that we turn aside from God. It's what our heart does that's the problem. Proverbs 30 is a prayer that we need to learn and we like the first part of the prayer. We need to learn Proverbs 38 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is sufficient for me, that I might not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not, might not be in want and steal and profane the name of the Lord. Now, we want to pray that prayer, don't we? The first part, Lord, don't give me poverty. Don't bring poverty upon me. But we also need to pray the second part, Lord, don't give me wealth beyond what I can have and still serve you. You know, that's really the difficulty in all these things. If I could just stand and say, well, this money's bad. Have no anything that you can just say, this is bad, don't do it. That's easy, right? This is bad, this is good. But what we're talking about in these things is where we need to practice temperance. Where we need to practice moderation. Brothers and sisters, we desperately need to be people of temperance in the area of finance, in the area of money. Let us pray, confessing our sin of excess. And by the way, the love of money, some people think, oh, that's a rich people's sin. I'm pretty sure I've met more poor people who sin with the love of money than I have met rich people. That may be just because I've known more poor people. But it's not a rich people's sin. It's an everybody's sin. We need to pray, cry out to God that he would make us temperate in this area. In the third place, we tend to excess in the area of maybe sexual desire. We consider first the beautiful gift that God has given. 
Even before sin entered into the world in the Garden of Eden, God gave this gift to Adam and Eve and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And yes, that means far more than just sexual intimacy in marriage, but it includes that. This was a gift given before the fall. When God gave Adam his wife, he said, for this cause, a man will leave his father and his mother and will cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And included in that imagery and in that language is this uh, marital intimacy. It's a gift from God. It is a beautiful gift. And then we have verses that speak to the beautiful gift and also give us a warning in the same verse. Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable in all and the marriage bed undefiled. Praise God for that wonderful gift. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. So we have the gift presented and we have the warning presented. More warnings come and we're just touching on a few verses. More warnings come through scripture. Proverbs 631. The one who commits adultery with a woman lacks sense. And now then we go to what Jesus said about if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Brothers, can we just say that don't make sense? And when we do that, we lack sense. He, the verse continues, Proverbs 6.32. He who would destroy himself does it. 1 Corinthians 6.18-20. Flee fornication. There we have it again. This is sexual immorality, a sin of sexual immorality. Uh, and grown, mature Christians are to run away from it. Flee fornication. Every other sin that a man commits is outside of the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. That is, glorify God in the way that you think about and view and enjoy the gift of sexual intimacy which God has given you. With some of you who are unmarried, that means not now, but in God's timing later. For some of you, it means within the confines of your marriage. And, and, and keep in mind, this is not... This is speaking of those who he says the spirit of God dwells in you. This is speaking of those whom he said you were bought with a price. This is talking to Christians. This is for us. Modesty, money, mating, meals, food and drink. Here we consider the gifts, food and drink that God has given us and the excess of each one. Gluttony and drunkenness. Gluttony and drunkenness. Boy, isn't it important right now for me to point out to you that I don't stand before you preaching to say this is, this is something you all need to consider. This is us, right? This is for all of us. Gluttony and drunkenness is the excess. It's the sin abusing the gifts that God has given us. The Bible is severe in its judgment of gluttony and drunkenness. We've already read and we know the Bible says in several places, no drunkard will enter the kingdom of God. That's why I hate to hear a Christian, even if they've gone to AA, I hate to hear a Christian say, I am an alcoholic. Because no drunkard will enter the kingdom of God. I'd rather hear you say, such was I, but no longer. Because I'm on my way to heaven through the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness by faith. The Bible speaks of the glutton in just as disgusting terms as it speaks of the drunken man. Ezekiel describes the sin of Sodom and enlisting the sins of Sodom, gluttony. And we dare not think that the first sin was anything but that of gluttony. Surely there was a lot going on in the mind of Adam and Eve in the garden, but eating outside the boundaries which God had set was the first sin. Eating a gift from God, but eating what God had forbidden because of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, the boastful pride of life. How easy is it, brothers and sisters, to progress from the legitimate desire for food to the excess of blood? Where is that line? Well, I didn't even see the line, but I blew right past it. 
Where is that line? How easy is it for us to progress from the legitimate desire of drink to drunkenness? Throughout the Bible, God's blessing is described in terms of food and drink. God's blessing is shown to us. How do we know the land? It's the land of milk and honey. It's the land of vineyards. By the way, God's people were, were pictured as a vineyard. And what is that vineyard for? They weren't just eating grapes. That vineyard is, is pictured. And wine is pictured as a blessing from God. But the wrong use of food and drink is sin. We must strive, brothers and sisters, in this area, especially in a society where there is so much of feasting. It's everywhere. Even in the context of the church, there is so much banqueting and parties related to food and drink. Everything we do. I mean, say to somebody, we're having people over and you know what they're going to say? What are we eating? What are we drinking? That's the questions. There's so much of this. Brothers and sisters, we need to strive in this area for temperance. Now we must eat. And we may drink wine which makes the heart merry, Scripture tells us. But it is so easy to carry our liberty to the point of sin. There, there is such a slight boundary between what is sufficient and what is excess. Such a thin line between enjoying God's bounty and bringing a reproach to His name. Remember what we pray for in the Lord's, what we call the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. What are we asking for as we pray that? We're asking for what is sufficient for today. We're not asking for excess. Give us sufficient. What is sufficient for today? Proverbs 25, 16 speaks of this. It says, have you found honey? I think there may be fewer things in life that are better than honey. Have you found honey? Eat only what you need. That is only what is sufficient for you. That you not have it in excess and vomit. That's gross. Well, that's the description of taking a good gift from God and taking it to excess, taking it to the place of sin. That's disgusting. This verse describes the sinful excess that has gone to the point of sick. And and all around us, our, our country of plenty and many other parts of the world, men have become drunk on the things of the world. Taking food and drink, we could list alcoholic drink, we could list tobacco and other substances, and taking those things and gorging to the point of sick, even to the point of death. Let's look again at our text in 1 Peter 4 and learn how we should enjoy these liberties. We read verse 4. Let's read it again. It speaks of how we should be viewed, Christians, by the world. It says, they are surprised. They are surprised that you do not run with them to the same excess of dissipation. And they malign you. They call you names. They are surprised. Brothers and sisters, we are to enjoy food and we are to enjoy drink, but in a way that makes us not fit into the world. We are to be temperate. We are to be self-controlled, regulated, limited in these things to such an extent that the world says, that's strange. They should be surprised. You're only having one drink? Or you're not having any alcoholic drink? They should be surprised. What's, What's wrong with you? Brothers, I'm not telling you that having a drink is sinful. I am saying that we need to practice temperance long before we come up against the sin of drunkenness. Long before we are inebriated. Christian temperance should mean that what we drink, what we eat. I I know 
smoke cigars with some of you. What we smoke doesn't dominate every conversation. Those things should not dominate every opportunity we have to come together for fellowship. Remember what we said last week about hospitality? Sometimes we don't practice hospitality, Christians. We just get together for a party. We need to be practicing hospitality. Sometimes we're so focused on our own appetite that we prevent hospitality. We become a hindrance. Though you may not be eating, drinking, doing all these things to excess and drunkenness, you may be a stumbling block to someone else, but you haven't been sensitive or loving enough to see it. You're blinded by your own belly. Paul says he would curb his consumption of certain meats to avoid becoming a, an offense, a stumbling block. And I worry that we at Waco Family Baptist Church are in danger of letting our liberty and letting our appetite blind us to the offense of a weaker brother. Or we allow liberty and appetite to necessarily exclude others from our fellowship. Just think about where we go and what we do as we gather in our in our times together. Think about how vital it is for young men and young women to see not only their fathers and mothers, but to see other men and women of the church and to learn through that how Christians are supposed to be. Brothers and sisters, I, I, I don't want to be and I don't want you to be known as the cigar guy. I don't want you to be known and I don't want to be known as the drink guy. I don't want to be and I don't want you to be known as the eat guy. We can enjoy good gifts from God in moderation and temperance. But we need to be known as men of God, women of God. We need to be known as people of the book. We need to be known as people of integrity. Let us be known to the world as those strange people who are temperate, self-controlled. People who would honor God and love our brother rather than satisfy our own desires. And we have to bring this to a close. I know. Search your soul. I knew of two, I knew of two men. Both were weighing like 400 pounds. When one of them would leave the room, the other one would say, can you believe how fat that guy is? Can you believe? That's just disgusting. They were both the same size guys, but they were looking at the other person, saying, oh, look at his thing, to avoid looking at their own thing. Now, you've seen this, because we all know about the drunk who says, well, I don't drink in the morning. But he's still a drunk. We all know about the promiscuous person who says, well, my body count is not as high as so-and-so's. We all know that we can look to others to excuse our own sin. But Christian, you must be careful not to justify and excuse yourself by finding someone else who is less temperate than you. Earnestly search your heart. And if you struggle with how to see those things in you, you may consider asking some godly person to help you to see the image that you portray to those around you. Don't ask everyone to help you with that. That would be unwise. And don't think that the goal is that you would be justified in the eyes of another person. But a godly person may help you in this self-examination. We're not saying that these things are sinful in and of themselves. The body is not evil, but we need to practice the discipline that Paul spoke of when he said, I buffet my body daily. People run in a race, but everybody don't receive the crown. I want to run that I might get the crown. I want to run that I might get the, the, win the prize. Christian, how are you running? I'm running kind of a fourth place kind of race. No, let us run that we might win the prize. 
And he says, I buffet my body. I beat my body into submission. I bring myself under. I discipline my body and make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself would not become a castaway or not be disqualified. Temperance, self-control is stifling those influences which enfeeble the body and sap its potency and make us weak. So Christians, bring the body under discipline so that it will be strong, so that it will serve the end, the end, the goal of your life. Don't give rein to appetite. Show temperance, show moderation in fleshly desires, in, in desires that are God-given desires and can be met as God has intended. Don't let your body be brought to destruction. Don't let your mind be dulled. Don't let your soul be carried away to devastation. Remember that it is the cares and riches and appetites and pleasures of this world that choke out the Word of God. Beloved, you may be sinning in the area of intemperance. You may be sinning right now by thinking, well, this is for somebody else. I'm glad these are not my excesses to sin. I have a higher standard. And what you're really saying there is I have a higher standard than God. What God says is not sin. I say is. You may be sinning by the abuse of these gifts of God, perhaps in the overindulging, in the excess. You may be sinning in this by becoming a stumbling block for another brother or sister. Whether you know about it or not, you need to be sensitive to that. You might be counted with the world. Oh, I see you. I see how you behave. I see how you enjoy the gifts of God and you're counted with the world because you look just like them. They don't say it's strange. Remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? It wasn't that the food was sinful to eat, but they refused to be counted among the pagans that were surrounding them. By the way, don't go follow their diet thinking that's going to be good for you. That's not the point of that passage is to give us a good diet plan. The point of that passage is to show us that we are to not blend in. We might foolishly ignore the warnings of Scripture and say, I don't need to listen to this. I don't need to consider my own actions. But that would be to our own detriment. God, we pray that where the human fails, where speech does not communicate, where the mind of the preacher is not sufficient. We pray that your word and your Holy Spirit would be sufficient. Keep us from error, God. Keep us from error. Keep us from legalism. Keep us from excess. We pray this in Christ's name.